ahead and grab a seat, my friends. All right, so some of you thought I was still in Mexico. I am not. I am back. The rest of the team is still driving back today, so please be in prayer for them. We have 22 people that are still on their way home. Uh, They are in Oregon. They sent me a picture of them crossing into Oregon earlier this morning. So they're somewhere in Oregon. And goodness knows that's just like being lost in the wilderness. Am I right, people? You know it. So uh, continue to pray. We do have youth group tonight, so I hope to see the five of you there, plus others. If I'm there alone, it'll be really lonely. So please, come on out. Um... Next week is service on the lawn. Service on the lawn, I don't claim to have brought many things to our congregation. Most of what I brought is headaches, probably. But most, I, I know many of you probably wish for the good old days where it was just much simpler. But Jeff comes in and complicates things. But service on the lawn, I love Christmas and I love Easter, but there's something about being outside on a warm day, just with friends. It's a, it really is. We keep the service really tight because there's planes going. If you've not been at the other campus, there's a plane that goes over about every four minutes. Um, it's, you've got the, there'll be a softball game going on right next door to us. There's just all this distraction, and yet there's something beautiful about that distraction and coming together. So if you're able to be there next week, we would love to have you at service on the lawn. Again, it's followed by a picnic that's completely free. We don't even put like a basket for donations. It's come on out. The church provides the meat, the buns, the drinks. Um, if you're interested in helping, we need about 15 to 20 people there at 8:30. We have to set up all the chairs. We have to set up the canopies. We have to set up the barbecue grill. We have to we set up all the tables for lunch before the service. So if you're able to be there around 8:30, we'd appreciate it. Um, normally our captain for that, he's going to be in Alaska. Good luck with the fishing trip. But uh, so Larry, who normally has overseen that since I've been here pretty much, won't be there. So if you are available, we would love to have you come out and join us and, um, and just be a part of that day. It's not an all-day thing. So if you're like, oh, man, I, I get too tired after a couple. We'll go from our normal 10 to 11 will be the service. Food will start about, a, about 1130, depending on how long and chatty I get that day. And then... Uh, We'll be done around 1 o'clock, and I say, all right, thanks for coming, and see if anybody wants to help me stack tables and put them away. So it's not an all-day thing. It's a lot of fun. We'll have some lawn games available for those who want, and yet a lot of people just want to sit and chat, and that's great too. So please put it on your calendar. Consider coming. Put on your sunscreen or grab your big sun hat. It's one of the only days all year I'll wear shorts to church. I know. Don't tell my father. So... He still can't get over the fact that I don't wear a jacket or a tie. Neither. But I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we're going to wrap up the Ten Commandments series today. And to me, I mean, I, I do, you know, throughout the year I do series. Next, you know, starting next week, we're doing one on obedience. And what does it mean to, to be obedient in a world that tells you there's no rules and you have to find your own truth? So we're going to talk about that starting next week. But it wasn't accidental that I started with the Ten Commandments and I did a long series on that because I believe that there's something valuable about that in our life. And I think people have the wrong idea of what the Ten Commandments is all about. They think it's just this list of rules that was written thousands of years ago and if we put it on the courthouse lawn, it becomes controversial and 
whatever your perspective is on that, I don't care if you're pro or anti that. What I think is, until we really are living this out, it's not going to make any difference. I could give you a thousand lists of rules that make no difference if you're not living it out. And so the Ten Commandments is not just about a list of rules. The Ten Commandments were written for a specific people, and yet they carry down to us because it's in the Holy Scripture. It's designed to help those people understand two things. Remember, the first four, how do you relate to God? The next six, how do you relate to each other? Too often times we want to make it this list of rules that's just, just kind of arbitrary, but it's not. Because you cannot know God outside of community. So if I don't know how to interact and relate to you, then I can't really interact and relate to God the way he created me to relate to him. And so from the very beginning we had sin, which broke off this relationship with God. And now I have to learn again the most basic of things. Because see, Adam and Eve walked with God, but because of sin, that was broken. And I've had plenty of people say, well, I don't believe that Adam and Eve were literal people or whatever. It doesn't matter. The principle is still the same. That, that the principle says that there's a separation between us and God. And the problem comes in the fact that oftentimes we think we are the solution to that separation or that everybody else is bad, but I'm really not that bad. And so we have this sliding scale. I'm certainly not a murderer, so I'm okay. Or I certainly don't cheat on my taxes like that guy, so I'm okay. Or I certainly don't do this or that. And so we make our own arbitrary list of rules. And then when we do that, we become the one who's judging. We become the one, the standard by which we live by, and we just hope that God grades on a curve and that I'm at the top. And so we start to walk through life that way. The people of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness as a nomadic group because they didn't trust God. They were given the promised land. They were sent in to spy it out. And only two out of the 12 come back and say, we can do this with all that God has already done. Let's go in. And the other 10 are like, oh, that's kind of freaky. And so because they're scared, they end up dying off and it's their children who get to go in. And so this list of guidelines, this list of commandments, this list of rules, it's given there because they don't know how to interact with each other because they've just spent hundreds of years as slaves, and they never had to make these decisions for themselves. And so now, for the first time, they have to know, how do I interact with this person? It's not get all I can just to survive, but I've got to learn how to function in a group and in a community. And we sit and go, well, that's so obvious, but it's not because we can't do it today. With all the freedom in the world, you and I struggle to not sin throughout the week, don't we? Sin in our thoughts, sin in our actions, sin in our heart. So while the adults die and the children are going on, they've learned now from a very young age, they've heard this over and over and over. They've got 40 years of hearing this. 40 years of being told, here's how we live in community. And it shows you how critical it is that we teach our children because the things we teach them now are the things they're going to have to live out when they're adults. We don't teach our children now so that they do what we want when they're at home. We teach our children so that they can become productive members of a, of a world, of a society. If you think you're only teaching your kids now so that they're polite when they're home and then they're going to leave and then they're not your problem, you probably haven't had kids for very long. Because my daughter, by the way, she's out of the house, she's married, she's on her own, and guess what? I still have to deal 
with her. <laughs> and believe me, she's a lot. I thought she was strong-willed as a child. It's only gotten stronger. <laughs> and yet at the same time, we always said, we're not raising our daughter so that she'll stay with us. I'm raising her so that she can go out and change the world. I'm raising her so that she'll be a productive member of society, so that she'll love Jesus, and so that she'll show him to everybody she encounters. If I were only raising her so that she'd do good things at home, then I never would have sent her to college because that's going to educate her and tell her to go out. I probably wouldn't even have sent her to high school. I would have just started having her clean the house. Not a bad thing to do, but my goal was for her to learn how to function and live on her own, so she had to learn how to clean the house and to go out. My daughter, one of the things um, we would make her do is, when she, so from the time she was 14 on, if she needed a doctor's appointment, I'd sit next to her with the insurance card, but she would call and make that appointment. She wanted to, needed to make a dentist appointment. She needed to go somewhere. She wanted to get a driver's license. Here's the website, and I'd sit next to her and teach her how. I was doing this with my son one day, and he looked, he said, can't you and mom just do this? I said, no, mom and I aren't going to be there forever. He goes, I don't mind living at home forever. (laughs) Just difference in personalities. (laughs) If it means that we'll make your appointments, he'll stay home forever. But we raise our children to do that. That's what they're doing. From a young age, it says they learn, and they study, and they memorize, and they know because you're going to have to learn to live and function in this community after we're gone. The Ten Commandments are about helping us to live in that community, knowing the community is imperfect, but learning to live inside it anyway. Knowing that the people on your left and your right in your church are imperfect, and yet we're called to do this together and to move forward together. The Ten Commandments were designed to help us align with God. Not to condemn, but to offer us hope that it can be done. We can learn to live in community. All the do nots, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Remember, they could all be, also be stated as thou shalt. Instead of thou shalt not murder, thou shalt bring life. Let's bring life to situations. Thou shalt not covet means thou shalt appreciate what we do have. Instead of always wanting a little bit more, let's learn to say, I really appreciate what I have. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt be faithful to your spouse. Because it builds trust in marriage and in relationship. None of these are unpardonable sins. But they're all destructive and damaging to the community. When we follow these, we're better in community. We can be connected to God when the commandments are not simply a list of rules to check off, but they're part of the way we live and part of the way I think and part of the way I process and part of the way I love people. And then finally, the last thing that we really talked about is Jesus didn't come so that we don't have to follow the commandments anymore. He came to give us a simplified version. We have three scripture passages I'm going to read today. John 13, 34 is the first And this is Jesus talking. And it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do they know we're his disciples? Because we tell them? Because we beat people? Because we chastise them? Because we condemn them? No, because we love one another. 
Do we love one another? And is that evident in the way I live my life? Because I do, people may not understand it, but they're going to want to. It's foreign to them, but they're going to be driven and pressed to it. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, it tells us this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The people were testing him at the time, and Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And they expect him to stop right there. But then he goes on. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that you're living by hangs in this. We're dealing with people who they followed the rules and they were the ones who enforced the rules. They're the ones who, if you were in the church, if you were Jewish, which meant you were part of their community, and you didn't follow the rules, their punishments were shunning, stoning, executing, because they couldn't have you in their camp. And Jesus is here and says, all the law hangs on this. Do you love your neighbor? Because that changes my perspective. you got to love God above all. But if you love God, you're going to learn to love your neighbor. All the law is in the balance. If you're a follower of Christ, you must live this out. It makes us almost believe that some of us may have some repenting or apologizing to do to the neighbors. I don't know. I don't know your neighbors. But maybe we do. Or to one another. Mark chapter 12 is the third portion I want to read. Says then one of, this is verse twenty eight. I'm sorry. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, "Which is the first commandment at all of all?" Then Jesus answered him, "The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. We just heard something very similar to that." And the second one like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment. There is no commandment greater than these. I was talking with somebody one time. And he told me, he was one of the counselors I was seeing, and he said, you're probably not a very good neighbor. And it offended me. And I said, what do you mean? I'm a great neighbor. I, I help my neighbors. I look out for them. And he looked and he said, you can't be a great neighbor because you don't love yourself. And the most you can love your neighbor is the way that you love yourself. Your despisement of yourself means how can you really love your neighbor? Sometimes I think it's just hard. It's just hard to follow Christ because I want to do what's right, but I don't, not only do I not love myself, I don't even like myself a lot of times. And yet God is looking and saying, I love you as you are. And others, for others of us, we don't even know our neighbors. We don't know the people that we sit in this room with each week. I'm not, I've said before, I'm not asking you to be best friends. I don't even think you have to agree on politics or even theology. What I think you have to do is learn to live in community, which means I might have to get out of my seat and go across the room, not just during the 90-second greeting time, but afterwards and have coffee with somebody in here. I might have to invite somebody over for a meal 
or sit down with our families on a Friday night and have pizza because I need to get to know you. When your kids are young, I learned something I didn't know. Nobody ever taught me this. But all my friends were simply based on the size and age of my child. Their kids are the same size and age as mine. All right, I guess we hang out on a Friday night. <laughs> Literally, that's how I, that's how, I didn't know that was how adulthood you discovered who your friends were. Look, they're the same size and they're sitting next to each other in preschool. I guess we're not friends. And that's how those are the people that became my friends were based on the size and ages of my children. And as I've gotten older, it's been easier and easier and easier for me to just not have to deal with them. My kids are more independent. I don't even know who, you know, I might know who their friends are, but I certainly don't know who their friends' parents are. And I become less and less and less of a person engaged and involved in the lives of these other people that should matter to me. Because we're supposed to be in this building community building community in here so that we can support one another, building community outside these walls so that they can see Jesus. And it's so difficult. I'm not going to kid you and tell you, oh, it's really easy, here's all you do. Just think about this for a second. As an adult, have you ever thought, man, it's really hard to make friends as an adult? And I used to take my son to the playground. He was the epitome of having friends. I'd take my son to the playground. It doesn't matter. There'd be some other kid about his size, and they'd play together the whole time. We get on and go, oh, what's his name? I don't know. All right. His best friend for two weeks in school. He didn't even know the kid's name. Finally, we went and asked the teacher, what is his name? Okay. Because he just made friends with people. But as an adult, that's hard. It's hard to walk out the front door and say hello to your neighbor because we fear rejection. We fear, what if they don't agree with me? What if they don't like my politics, my this, my that, my, you know, what if they have a different stance on something? What if? But what if we still had a dialogue? What if we really viewed this as there really is no greater commandment than God first and people second? And I began to live my life that way. How would it shape and mold me into who I'm supposed to be? Um, So how do we live this out today? My focus cannot be on a list of rules. My focus cannot be on whether or not we put this Ten Commandments again. Should it go on a courthouse lawn or not? I mean, that's gone all the way to the Supreme Court with arguments on both sides. And I read one set of arguments, I go, oh, that's really good. And then I read the other set, and I go, oh, they make a good point. I don't know. But here's what I do know. If it's just a statue on a lawn that doesn't permeate somebody's soul, it doesn't matter. Do I want it there sometimes? Do I think it's a waste of time and money putting it there other times? Yeah, because it's not changing how we're living. And yet we want people to live by our rules, and yet I look at the church, and the church is no different than the rest of the world. And you go, but Jeff, we're just all people. You're right, we are. But are we even trying to live different so that we reflect a different point of view for a broken world to see who Jesus is? Because you and I, we're supposed to look different. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to act different. And instead, we're upset about how loud the music is, or we're upset about how long Jeff's sermon is, or we're upset that we don't have enough times of this or that. Do I value prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. But do I think I should have a required everybody who's a member has to pray, show up for prayer once a month? No, but I've been in churches that do. If you're a member, you have to be at pre-service prayer once a month. And I'm like... Okay, so now are they going because they want to stay in? 
are they going? Because it actually matters to them. See, I want a, I want a room full of pre-service prayers because people want to be there to pray for what's going to go on. Not because I say, well, if you want to be in the club, you have to do this. I want a room full of people who are desirous to give their money to God, not because Jeff says, we need more money, but because people are like, I want to do it because I see good things happening in our church. I see us impacting the world, the community, our neighbors. I see us doing good things through Transform. I see us doing good things through the orphanage in Mexico. I see us doing, making an impact in our community, and I want to support that. I don't want people to do it because they feel compelled because I go, well, really, money's really tight right now. It's summer, I'll tell you right now. If you're wondering, money's always tight in the summer. <laughs> always is. August is our worst month of the year, in case you're wondering. So you've still got a few weeks to, whew, so plan your vacation then, and then you don't have to hear about it. But the reality is, I want people that are compelled from deep within their soul, in their relationship with God, to respond, not because somebody gives a good plea. I want somebody who's challenged and changed by the Ten Commandments because they've experienced the reality of the living God, not because, well, if I follow these rules, I get into heaven, right? Because too much of our life is about following the rules so I don't get in trouble instead of saying, how can I connect with God? And that's what I want for us. I want us to be a people who are connected with God deep within our soul. And once I am, I can't help but want to worship God. I can't help but want to show up for prayer. I can't help but want to find a way I can serve. Not because it's about you got to do these things, but because there's something deep within me compelled to give more of who I am. I don't go to Mexico because I love hot weather. If you know me at all, I hate the heat. I've said many times, I grew up in northern Wisconsin. Really? I didn't mind the winters. And people are like, what? That's insane. I go, yeah, a little bit. But I can always add another sweater. I like sweaters. I wear sweaters all winter. If you've never noticed, I have a cardigan collection of about 12 cardigans. That's way too many for any one person. But I can always get warmer. I hate the heat. I don't go down because I love every day walking in and taking on my socks and having this just line of dirt up my legs. And you go, oh, I guess that doesn't look right. And taking showers literally out of a hose. We hook a hose to a shower head so it squirts like a shower head, but it's literally just a garden hose hooked to the back of the building. And I did that for the week. Why? Because there's people there that I want to love and show who Jesus is. And even just as importantly, there's a whole group of people that we took that sees the world for a different way. Met a 14-year-old kid at the border on his own when we went down to feed the migrant workers. He's from Honduras. I said, how'd you get here? Well, he walked, and then he took a bus, and then he walked, and then he got on a train for a day, and then he walked. He left in May and finally had arrived at the border, you know, that week. He'd been there two days, hoping to get a job, picking fruit or whatever that they can do. He'd go every morning to the little office where they give you, like, the temporary work permits, and you go and you get on a bus, and they take you, and you work all day, and you come back. He's hoping for that. 14 years old. I talked to him about Jesus and that he was loved. And I gave him four tracks in Spanish. And I told him, don't read them all now. Read one a day. Because I don't need him to agree to be saved because I'm standing here holding food. But I need for him to begin a faith journey. And we wrote him two personal notes. 
in Spanish just to encourage him to seek and to find God. That challenges me to ask myself, what am I doing? And with me, it challenges me when I get home. Am I passionate about people knowing Jesus now? Because I have to be. I must be a good neighbor. It's so hard at times. I was recently on a police call. This was a new one for me. Um, We're out there and we get a call and we go and there's a kind of a neighbor dispute and we go and we're talking to one neighbor or to the person who made the call and their neighbor was throwing dog poop into their yard. Literally dog poop. Scooping it up and throwing it in their yard. I was like, well, how old is this child? Unfortunately, it was an adult. And so we go and talk to the neighbor and they said their dog keeps pooping in my yard and I've asked him not to and I've told him not to and so we go back to the first neighbor and they said, my dog died four months ago. Believe me, it's not my dog. My dog is dead. So we go back to the first neighbor and let them know, by the way, your neighbor's dog's been dead for four months. He goes, well, I heard him barking. When? Well, sometime at night I heard, could it be another dog in another yard barking? I mean, I see the physical sign that something's pooping in your yard. That's not the question here. But, you know, it could be raccoons. I don't know. But stop throwing, you're not allowed to throw poop in someone's yard, even if their dog does poop in your yard. And I was like, how have we come to this as a society? How is this who we are after this many years? Whatever your views are on the existence of humanity and how long we've been on the planet, I believe in creation, but let's say you don't. Let's say you're not a person who believes in, is this really what we are and where we are as a people And I just want to say, what is wrong with you? I said, well, I tried to talk to them. They wouldn't answer the door. Maybe they were cooking dinner. Maybe they were tired after a long day. Maybe they weren't even home. I don't know why they won't answer the door. Or maybe it's because they know you throw dog poop. I mean, I don't know that I'd be racing to my door when that's the poop thrower. But the reality is, there's been times I haven't physically done it. Man, I want to. Because they're not a good person. And they're not a good neighbor. But that's not my job. My job is to be the good neighbor that loves them. That loves them. And so they were, the person who was actually the thrower got written up and actually got a citation. They were very angry. And they asked, who was going to get a citation when a dog went in their yard? And we said, well, I didn't say it, but the police officer said, well, call animal control, get a description of the person, <laughs> and then we'll come out again. You may not stoop to that level. You may be a little beyond that. But how many times do we do the same thing with our words? We tear somebody down, we rip them apart, and we throw our truth bomb at them because they're not what they should be to us. But nowhere in there does it say what they should be to us. It says what we should be to them. The commandments are not and other people better love you. It's that you love one another. You love one another. You love one another. You love one another. Do I want them to love us? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're called to do it. The commandments are not necessarily a solution for holy living, but they will help us live in community with one another. 
to help us to function in that community, to help us to understand and align our relationship with God. If I have nothing before God, it changes my perspective on who I am. These are guidelines for a life-giving, life-filling, life-fulfilling way to walk. It's not the works path to salvation. That's what the, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed it was. They believed, this is, if you do these rules, then you're going to get into heaven. That's not what this is. It's not a pious path to follow. It's a path that says, I'm changed by God. I'm not perfect, but I'm in process of change. And I'm going to reflect who I am by the way I do these things. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who love you so deeply that we can't help but respond to that. That we would not be the same. That we would be a people who are marked by your touch on our life. And that I would love those around me, whether they look like me, act like me, reflect my values and my beliefs or not that I would do good, that I would be good, that I would be light to them. Help us to be those people, Father God. Help us to be the people who not only know you, but our lives show that we know you, even when it's difficult. In your name, amen. Today is Communion Sunday. We celebrate communion once a month. Communion literally is our time of connectivity to remember the sacrifice God made. This time does not equal our salvation. What it does is it means that I'm setting aside time to remember the sacrifice that God made. We have an open table here at our church, which means anyone's welcome to come. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be, have gone through a class or anything else. It's an open table, and that just means all are welcome to be served. You have not sinned so much that God doesn't want communion with you. You have not done something so bad that God has broken it off with you. God's looking and says, you're a sinner, but you desperately need my son. You're not perfect, and you don't have to be. You're not worthy, and you never will be. We serve a God who is, who gave us a path to that connection. And I want to invite you today, in just a second, we're going to line up and we'll have kind of three lines going. If you're not able to get up and come to the front for whatever reason, whether it's physical or just even mental and emotional, you just don't have the strength today, just raise your hand and Tracy will come and serve you to make it easier on you to get your communion. But I want you to take a piece of the bread, break it in, break it off and stick it in the cup. Remember that this is about the fact that you have a God who loves you so much he would sacrifice his own son, Jesus, so that you could have a relationship with him. This is the Ten Commandments. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just remember that those words of Jesus today. And if I'm going to do that, I got to come and just take a moment to remember what he did for me. So I want to invite you to come forward at this time. Just start at the back of the room, move your way forward. And uh, after you're served, just make your way back to your seat.